Welcome to the Learning Unlocked podcast, presented by Open Sesame. Taking a deep dive into the global world of learning and development with practical tips and tricks, along with insights from leading brands and the people that make them work. This is Learning Unlocked. Now, here's your host, Brian Berger. My guest is Rick Meyer. He is the owner of the Mirror Wine Company in Napa Valley. He's a former NFL and Notre Dame quarterback. You can learn more about Rick and Mirror Wine at mirrorwine.com. Rick, thanks for joining me on the Learning Unlock podcast. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. So you played quarterback at Notre Dame, and then you were drafted by the Seattle Seahawks with the number two pick in the 1993 NFL draft. How did you learn discipline to be an elite athlete? Because not everyone's got that discipline to get to the levels that you made it to. Well, we didn't have much of a choice in college. Um, the school stuff was was real, and uh, Coach Holtz demanded you know, our full attention and uh, guys being being on time and sitting up straight and paying attention. So, yeah, I think we were we were taught well at a young age, and I was lucky to go through that. You have three sons yourself now. When you watch them play sports, do you think it's as rigid as you had it, or is it a little bit easier than you had it? It's different. Yeah. I, you know, it's just a different world. That's been so long. It's crazy that 30 years goes by like it does or or more. But um, I think that those college kids are really smart now. They have so much at their fingertips, there's so many resources and things they can get to so quickly. So I think the volume of information is 10x what we had. But, um, you know, playing in, in the coaching and some of the uh, – it, it, I, w- I don't want to say it's softer than it used to be, but it's definitely changed. And uh, some of the coaching kind of tactics have calmed down and, um, and for for the right reasons. And, and it's, it's a little different. But, you know, I, I think for my sons, they've had to learn how to play in bad weather and kind of – you know, walk to class and freezing rain and stuff like that, which, you know, everybody kind of needs that in life and you don't really get that growing up. So that's, that's the type of thing that, <laughs> that I'm seeing them have to figure out on the fly. You talk about how things are different and training is definitely different. I look at someone like Tom Brady and the resources that have been available to him and how old he is and how much longer he's playing do you ever look at someone like Tom Brady and go, gosh, I wish some of those resources and the knowledge of training would have been available when I played? Yeah. I mean, to a certain extent there were, there's, there's definitely some discipline just in your lifestyle that can, that can definitely kind of give you that fountain of youth. Um, I mean, you know, with nutrition and, and, uh, you know, sleep and they're monitoring all these different things, heart rate, you watch, I watch a lot of golf and you see these, you know, they're watching their, um, with the whoop, you know, kind of their heart rate and they're monitoring like how they're sleeping and cycles. And I mean, geez, we didn't, we didn't, no one even knew it existed or no one thought about it, but uh, it was just, it wasn't all that important what we ate. We didn't probably hydrate well enough. I mean, it's, it, this is, it's not before Gatorade, but it's kind of like at the beginning of that. And it's, you know, it's gone so much further with the recovery stuff and the training, um, just taking care of your body. And, you know, the guy's, at all these professional, you know, leagues, I mean, they're really, you know, they spent a lot of money to take care of themselves and have kind of fitness and training and nutrition and all those things. And Tom's probably the lead guy in a lot of it, but he's, he's been doing this a long, long time. And he's probably moving around better in some ways now than he did 20 years ago. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's really remarkable to watch, but you're right. The analytics today are so much different than when you were playing. One thing that is pretty solid across the board, leadership. Every team needs good leadership. You were a great leader uh, at Notre Dame and in the NFL. What are the traits that make for a good leader? Well, I think, you know, not everybody can can do it the same way. And there's multiple ways to go about it. But I think you got to have confidence to start with. And you have to believe in yourself and what you're doing and what you're saying. Um, you know, there's quiet leaders that kind of just lead by example. There's guys that talk a lot bark and yell and say all these things. But, um, I see it as I evolve into business and other kinds of relationships. I think just being able to handle talking to a room and feeling the confidence to look people in the eye and say what you mean and, and not kind of question yourself. It helps when you know what you're talking about for sure. But, um, I, I mean, there's just, you know, from coaches to players and even administration and, and front office stuff. I mean, just some guys just stand out and they're just, they're just, there's just more qualities there, just God-given things that our leadership, you know, kind of innate decisions for them and things that just, it just comes out in a way where they just address the room and they're convinced. And, and uh, it's just, you can notice it. And I think a lot of the teams that succeed sort of have some of that at some level, uh, whether it's people making decisions, who to design and who to play or the, the guys on the field making the decisions, you know, take that last shot or, or whatever it is, whatever sport. So yeah, I think um, there's a lot of different ways it happens, but uh, you know, I think Tom's another example. You don't win seven of these things unless you're doing that part. Right. Right. Definitely. When you talk about leadership, like on the field and in sports and then in the business world, and you're, you know, you're a founder of a company now, how does that translate? Is it just, knowledge and confidence and getting more reps in the business and understanding the business? Or is it, Hey, I was successful as an elite athlete, so I can bring that same confidence with me to the business world. Well, I think you need to be able to understand who you're dealing with. And my main focus, I learned this at the beginning of this kind of wine journey and the business around that is just communication is so important. You know, you need to understand what the other people you know, answering questions or what they're saying and what they, what do they need? And it's not all about how I feel, and what, you know, what I think should happen. It's you got to be able to read the situation and decisions are made that, you know, that's kind of the connection I think with sports. I mean, you don't have a lot of time sometimes to think about, you know, what you're going to do and, and why. And it's sometimes it's your gut instinct and sometimes you've thought it through ahead of time. And you have the confidence to just go with what you think, even though the other person might not want it or like it at the time. But, you know, there are it, it's it's uh, it's very similar in a lot of ways. Um, I, I think you can kind of navigate through some of the obstacles just because you're, you know, willing to think ahead and, and make tough decisions. Sometimes it's, they're no fun to make, but you just kind of have to do it, and move on and and just you know, live for another play. And, and it, it both, you know, sports and business are that way. And, you know, we've really had some rough stuff to navigate through in the last year and a half, two years. And, and I think the leaders are the ones that stand out. More of Learning Unlocked is coming up after this. Diversity, equity, and inclusion continues to be a top priority for businesses everywhere. Open Sesame has created a survey that will give you insight into where your organization stands on diversity. 
Aside from being educational, this survey is a powerful tool to help you understand areas of improvement and spark conversations about strategies for creating a more inclusive and equitable workplace. After you take the short survey, you'll get access to Open Sesame's DEI Toolkit, an online hub where you can find additional resources. Visit opensesame.com today to start your survey. Back to Learning Unlocked. Here's Brian Berger. What would you say were your biggest challenges navigating the last two years? Eh, that's a good question. I think having patience. Um, you know, we've re- relearned how to communicate with Zoom and some of the mm-hmm. uh, virtual stuff and, and um, things that actually kind of, in a way, make your life a little bit easier. I think we all got tired of Zoom, but it was I probably connected more with people during that phase than, than prior because you can't be on an airplane every day and no one, right. no one wants to live like that. And, and and sometimes you could have two or three or four calls on zoom and, and be in front of a hundred people in, a, in, a, in an afternoon instead of one place at a time. So the efficiency was kind of amazing. Um, in our industry, you know, restaurants, some of the, you know, some travel stuff and hospitality things really just stopped. So we had a lot of compassion for them and we needed to be patient and try to support the best we could, not knowing when it was going to end or even change. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think that was the toughest. We kept all the employees, everybody stayed on, you know, we got through it and it, it was good to be small. I mean, that helps, but, um, I, I, I see these bigger industries and some of the pain airlines, maybe, you know, it's just, um, the numbers are unbelievable. And there might not be a solution for some of the issues, but, uh, we were able to get through it in one piece and hopefully learn a lot doing it. Yeah, everyone's been talking about pivoting and, you know, what's the new normal look like going forward. But I think you bring up some good points of of how things have been different. I want to go back to your playing career. At what point during your playing career did you start thinking about post-career? Or you went to a great school in Notre Dame, great academic school. Did you start thinking about it that early on? Hey, you know, when I'm done playing football, this is what I want to do. I think in high school, you need to make a decision that starts your path, uh, with the college choice to me, I, I pretty much only looked at good schools, but, um, it's, it's kind of an insurance policy. You know, I, I was not expecting the NFL thing to just be a given. Like, there a lot of things had to happen, including just being healthy. Enough. Mm-hmm. I was no way planning on that. And I think there's a lot of kids now who sort of do, and they may just be Zion Williamson type kids at, in 17. And they just, they know, you know, you could, you've been identified, but, for the rest of us, you had to, you know, get into college years and develop and grow. Um, it's just important to kind of, you know, work your way through, take school stuff seriously, uh, network. I mean, that whole thing's changed. I mean, we barely had email and computers and stuff <laughs> going to a library. And, and it was just slow. Looking back, it was just so slow. But it was normal. And, you know, now I see my kids uh, just do things so much quicker. But I encourage them to, you know, when you meet people and you're at these networking types of things, grab a bunch of business cards, remember who people are, take a few notes. Cause later on you've met them. Now you're, you know, you've crossed paths once that might be a resource for you. And that, that's kind of how I looked at it. I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I mean, I, I didn't know what I wanted to study when I got to school. I didn't know what I wanted to do after football when I was even toward the end of football. But when the time came, I made, I made a call and, and kind of relied on the people I knew and some of the things I liked and, and felt like I knew enough about, um, 
you know, to, to be able to make a conscious decision to do something that I could do for a long time. And I, it's crazy. I just realized the other day I've done the line thing longer than I did professional football, at least wow. uh, all the other years. So we're, we're into 13 years of professional wine. So, um, yeah, it's, it's life's long when you, you know, you can't think about just that little career. That's only going to be a lot of times three, four five years, or if you're lucky, you get to go to 12. Like I did. Some guys are well beyond that, but, um, you get out, you're still 30 something or 40, you know, maybe if you're fortunate. So there's a, there's a long way to go and you got to find something that challenges you and, and motivates you. And that was, that was really what I did and what I was trying to accomplish with the, the business we started. So you played for the Raiders and the 49ers towards the end of your career. Is that what kind of exposed you to wine country and, and, you know, got you to think, Hey, maybe this is something I might want to do post-career. It is. I mean, I, I didn't know it at the time. I it just, it was just, I just had time for it to soak in a little bit. And when we had training camp in Napa with the Raiders a couple of summers. I got a chance to meet a bunch of people and, and again, just stay in touch and, and um, enjoyed almost everything that I saw there as a kind of a consumer and a tourist almost. But, you know, a few years later when I needed to find something to kind of get me moving, it was easy to call on those guys. And, and revisit and, and you know we're, we're in southern california so we're close enough um day trips and it's it wasn't like i had to cross the country to to visit so yeah it's um that had you know since then i think that i've met a million other people and it's kind of taken a, a life of its own but just just to to kind of get started i needed to know a few locals and some people that had the experience and i could pick their brain and i'm lucky to have those types of mentors and um, I guess we all, we always all need that. Cause you know, when you're new, you gotta, you gotta get caught up quick and somebody's there to help you. If you take advantage of some of the resources you have more of learning unlocked is coming up after this open Sesame helps companies develop the world's most productive and admired workforces. How? By having the most comprehensive catalog of e-learning courses from the world's top publishers, publishers like Ted and Harvard. And having courses that cover learning topics like diversity, equity, and inclusion, leadership development, safety and compliance, and wellness. Try a course for free today by visiting opensesame.com backslash course of the week. Back to Learning Unlocked. Here's Brian Berger. All right. As the owner of the Mirror Wine Company, what's a typical day like for you? Are you out there crushing grapes? Are you answering emails and going around the country meeting with people? Are you on Zooms all day? Give us a sense of what your life looks like as the owner of the Mirror Wine Company. It's it's mostly email and phone kind of, you know, correspondence. Uh, I just got back from a five-day trip back in the Midwest. We had three dinners in a row at some private golf clubs in Chicago and in Michigan. And FaceTime with people is great because, you know, it's, we're, we're, we're able to do some normal things again. But, um, you know, on a normal day when I'm home or when I'm, you know, not traveling, it's kind of like wake up and see what's going on from the East Coast. You know, those people are on us pretty early if there's something going on. Um, and then and I work my way through it. I don't try to have a million things set. I mean, there's, you know, appointments and things that I have to do, but I really work around kind of my own schedule and uh it's kind of a you know email can be a, a tremendous task but it's also you can kind of respond and do things when you have the time to so 
And I just did this yesterday. And I got a lot done on an airplane. And that's not how it used to be, right? So we've been able to make sense of a lot of hours, sometimes late, sometimes early. But, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not in Napa that often, especially through this whole pandemic phase. I haven't traveled that much. Um, I'm able to do things remotely. And a lot of times my uh, it's, it's more worth my time to be somewhere in front of new customers or loyal people that we want to kind of spend more time with because um, I, I, you know, I could just get in the way of some of the wine making. I, I want to be a part of it, but it's not my role. My role is the people and the relationships. And I, I, I tackle that a lot of different ways. How did you learn about the wine business? Like who took you under their wing and mentored you and said, this is how the wine business works? Well, it's, it's funny because it's changed how it works. I mean, there used to be, um, you know, it's not just all visitors now. There's a lot of, uh, with all the websites and social media, and there's different ways to get to people. But, you know, the, the, the person who was the most influential to me is a, a friend named Jeff Smith who started a wine late 90s called Hourglass. And he was a giant Raider fan. And he reached out to me. We got connected. I loved his wine. He was new. He's from Napa, but he was in, He's a kind of a musician and he was in, had a different uh, spirits company and, and it kind of rolled into wine and I was a good customer and a friend. And then we pretty much launched the mirror stuff together with another winemaker and Jeff had the experience how to, how to sell, like what, how to tell a story, what people want to, you know, want from you. And then, you know, you have the winemaking team making some of the technical things cause I'm not schooled and, and, and all those decisions, but, um, to be the face of the brand, I think it's important to have a story, you know, and, and kind of the, the, the elevator pitch sort of, of like what, what you're doing, why, uh, what, why it should be important to the people you're talking with. And we're in an extraordinarily competitive industry where, you know, we, the world didn't need another Cabernet, but <laughs> we, we've decided it needed two more. So, um, yeah, Jeff was huge at the beginning, and he's still a great friend. And his place went through some hell with the fires last year in 2020. So, uh, you know, now we're rallying around him and rebuilding some stuff. But they, they didn't lose everything, but they had some damage. He wasn't the only one, and uh, that's a that's a tight community. And uh, he's a buddy who helped me get started. Get that. We talk about branding on this show a lot. I can't imagine a much more popular brand than being the quarterback of Notre Dame. How much has that helped you through life? I would imagine it's been great for your branding. Well, it depends who you're talking to, I suppose. I mean, we, we have a lot of support, but we also like, we're the least favorite team to serve. <laughs> um, I, you know, we really don't push the Notre Dame stuff real hard with the, the mirror brand. I really wanted intentionally for this to be about wine and the, hmm. and the, and the, that community to like recognize the, the quality of the wine more than something that we could follow with, but I didn't want to lead with it. So um, some of the other things we're doing and the things we're working on with Notre Dame and uh, different brands, you know, we're, you know, working with the play like a champion today brand and that's its own wine and, and um, obviously the merchandise and all that kind of stuff too. But that's more of a Notre Dame first play. And the there were two vineyards that mirrored each other across St. Helena and that's how it started. It wasn't because of our name. We wanted, you know, killer wine to share with people. And now we made five different wines and we're really proud of all of them. We'll put them up, you know, next to anybody. And, um, it usually leads to 
good fun and good food and you know that brand will kind of stay that way pretty small but it's growing and um you know we'll, we'll, we'll use the name kind of stuff when we have to but uh not everybody wants to hear that and some people stumble across us have no idea who i am and that's what's awesome they love the wine and they don't really know that part of my background or i guess unless i tell them or they ask but uh it's cool that they accept the wine and, and appreciate the wine and come back for more and it's not just because they saw games back in the 80s and 90s it's it's because of what the product is now that's a good uh that's a good recipe right there so drew bledsoe number one pick in the 1993 draft you're the number two pick you guys both have wine companies but now rick i look at danica patrick Terrell Owens, Charles Woodson, CJ McCollum just bought a bunch of land here in Oregon to start his own wine company. More and more athletes are getting into the wine business. A, have you spoken with any of these athletes? Have they reached out to you and said, hey, Rick, you've been doing this for 13 years. Give me some tips. And then why do you think athletes are getting into this business more and more? Well, Drew and I almost did stuff t- together. We, we were very close and we, we um, kind of learned wine around the same time in the mid nineties and the later nineties. Um, it, it, I'm, I'm, I think we're both, I know we're both uh, happy that we decided to do our own projects. Cause it's just, they just grow. And it's like, you know, he's got vineyards and stuff named after his kids and his grandparents and stuff like that. And, you know, we're doing things based on California, not Washington. Um, so we've been very, very friendly and supportive back and forth. We try to help each other, and we did some fun social media things over the years. Um, Charles Woodson's a teammate who I who got in years years ago now, and I've reached out to him. We've gone back and forth quite a bit. I can appreciate all of the things he's doing because he's he does a lot about giving back, and he's he's representing himself like I am, and Drew is, and he knows what he's talking about. I, you know, some of the others I haven't connected with. Um, I got a feeling that, you know, some would know a lot more than, than, than others, how it works and their, just their involvement overall compared to just having a, a brand. But, um, why everybody, I don't know. I think, uh, you know, for some of the people, I think they, they're, they're making plenty of money and it's not that hard to jump in and they're kind of doing it while they're still playing and others, um, uh, just kind of testing it out and, and it's a fun, you know, from gosh i I mean all the wine grows grapes are growing everywhere there's there's regions that are unbelievable all over the place so i guess it just was a matter of time it was golfers and race car guys you know now we're into every sport is probably represented and um i'm just happy we don't like i said we don't push football or too much with the beer brand it's more of that something that they if they figure it out we're happy to talk about it but um i'm not a hall of famer i don't have you know, all a worldwide, you know, reach. And, uh, we're kind of just doing it through the quality of the, of the of what's in the bottle. And that's kind of nice when you share it kind of with it now back to, you know, being able to do things face to face, we can really make some progress. Last question for you. Uh, none of us are ever going to know what it's like to run out of the tunnel at Notre Dame, tap the play like a champion sign. You got to do it. What's that like? Well, it, um, you know, I was lucky. I got there the year after the national championship season. So the, the every single time we walked down that stairwell and touched the sign and went out 
through the tunnel, the expectation was to win. And there was no other thought in our minds. So that is a very fortunate position to be in. I don't, it's not always that way. And it, you know, historically, I mean, there's been, you know, ups and downs, but a lot of ups. And, um, you know, as a 19, 20 year old kid, you don't really feel pressure. Um, when I watch a game now, I see it looks more dangerous than I remember it looking or feeling. And it's, it's, you know, the pressure, you, you just see it differently as an older person than when you're playing, you're just reacting. And I mean, I honestly, like we were never nervous. I mean, there were tense moments and there were big games, um, but it's just such a rush in a good way. It's not that, you know, you're, you're riddled with fear kind of decision-making thing. It was more like we expect to win, react, you know, kind of rely on what you've practiced and been taught and the results ought to follow. And most of the times they did, you know, win them all, but uh, we won our share. And um, that was something I mean, now when I'm back in that building, I still get like, you know, the hair stands up on the back of my neck. Yeah. It's like, I, I remember that feeling and then the, the little jitters you get before a game, just because you're excited and you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, you expect to, be, you know, play well, but you don't know. And that's what's great about really all live competition like that. Rick Meyer, owner of the Mirror Wine Company in Napa Valley, former NFL and Notre Dame quarterback. Learn more about him at mirrorwine.com. Order a bottle at mirrorwine.com or more order many bottles at mirrorwine.com. Rick, I always enjoy our conversations. Uh, I love to see the success that you're having post-career. And thanks for joining me on the Learning Unlock podcast. I appreciate it. Anytime. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Learning Unlocked, presented by Open Sesame. Download this and every episode on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Learning Unlocked is produced by Griggs Productions.